You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of a movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode three of Fantasy Film Ball of Dylan Matt, where we turn movies into sports, and sports is something that we just don't talk about. And this week, we got we got an episode here today. And I guess before we get into everything that we have to talk about, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dill. How are you doing, man? I am uh, living, to say the least. Living. I've had a pretty uh, that's all we weekend. can expect. I uh, had to work in Virginia Beach. I'm from Richmond, for the people who don't know, and that's about like an hour and a half drive normally. I uh, It took me about three and a half hours to get down there, and then two and a half hours to get back. So a lot of traffic time, but traffic time means you can listen to music. And this week, we're talking about the big new release of Elvis. So I got to hear a lot of extra Elvis songs in the car ride. And Elvis is someone who I've never really listened to. But I got to say, this movie, I guess it did its job because it got me wanting to listen to more Elvis songs. That's interesting. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask is like is Elvis your thing? If you had Elvis in your playlist there, so no, El- Elvis is just not your thing. And you're like, yeah, it's a it's a new fascination, I guess. Because like I knew like <laughs> Jailhouse Rock and Hound Dog, but I didn't know much of like Elvis songs. Like even preparing for like the movie, I was like, I should go listen to like his Essentials playlist on Apple. And I'm like, I don't really yeah. know this song. I don't really know this song. But then the movie. Before we get into any thoughts, there just like. I thought the music was great and there's specific songs that have like I've really clung on to which we'll get into a bit mm-hmm. a little bit more later but well, I, sh- I want to know do you have a do you have a favorite Elvis song because I Elvis definitely song. have like a favorite Elvis song yes I do what's your favorite first to see if we overlap? my my favorite is um are you lonesome tonight I I'm not a huge fan of Elvis but are you lonesome tonight is great I think that the reason I like it is because I'm a huge fan of the movie a brighter summer day um, and A Brighter Summer Day is like, it's a five hour long Taiwanese movie from 1991. Um, but the title of that movie is from that Elvis song. Um, I love that song, man. I love it. It's so good. Uh, but what's yours? My, mine's a little bit more downbeat. So, Mine is Suspicious Minds is a song, I'm going to be honest, I never heard before this movie, but um, how it's used in the film and uh, listening to it backwards, that's just one that's really caught on to me. How's that one go? I can't remember that one off the top of my head. Um, it's the one that he sings <laughs> in Vegas near the end. It's kind of upbeat, um, okay. but also a little bit more down down the tone. Um, I am a horrible singer, so I'm going to save everyone out there the uh, <laughs> the, the saviness uh, of not having to get hear. You to sing. But um, I was trying to get you to sing. No, you know, I, I can give it a try here. I can give it a try here. Actually, I, I don't. I don't want to. But it's no, um. You don't you? Don't have to. You do. The lyrics are to. like, uh, well, don't you know? I'm caught up in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Sort of, Yoda, sort of. Oh, that's like, the one. That's yeah. The one. A love song, sort of, I but the also like a breakup rendition song. of it. Mm-hmm. But okay, um, well, you know, I I had a question as well outside of 
Elvis, something that I was thinking about this week, because after I finished watching Elvis, it got me thinking about uh, how obviously, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, uh, but music biopics win acting Oscars. That's just something that happens, mm -hmm. right? We see it over and over. Uh, you see Rami Malek winning. You see Renee Zellweger winning. It's something that just happens all the time. Um, and something that I was thinking after leaving the movie was who are some musicians that are like working nowadays or, you know, who haven't had, uh, because your answers, Dill, are, are very much in the past, someone who hasn't had their biopic yet that you think someday someone is going to win an Oscar for? Yes, um, I've had one in mind ever since I saw Bohemian Rhapsody because I remember like on the Reddit forums and stuff, people be like, oh, who's the next musician to win an Oscar sort of thing. And the one that always jumps out to me, maybe it's a little personal bias because he's one of my favorite musicians of all time, but it's Marvin Gaye just because he has such an yeah. iconic catalog, but also a tragic story, which sadly like makes for more interesting movies. But also when you parallel that with the real life is you're just really sad what has to, like what individuals have to go through and how their lives stories go from on top of the world to just tragicness but i've always had the thought because also a little bias here one of my favorite musicians who's also an actor by the name of donald glover charles gambino he has the he's done the beard look he he can he can look a little bit like marvin gay he's got the vocals to match it and he has the acting chops so i just feel like that's a match made in heaven it's just the the gay estate is one that's not very lenient when it comes to music usage so i feel like a biopic may be a little hard obstacle to overcome but one if eventually down the line if the right director or the right script comes along that could be just a great project but i know that you have some that you are really excited about as well yeah i marvin gay is a great choice for that as well because i mean marvin gay is also one of my favorites what's going on is like top of the top uh, but when i left elvis i think the first thing that I was thinking um, after seeing how his story really goes through a lot of um, exploitation and a lot of people making money off of him um, and keeping him trapped. And it got me thinking that someday someone, and I don't know who and I don't know when, but someday someone is going to win an Oscar for playing Britney Spears. Um, and that's something that I don't think anyone would have said even just a few years ago, but after the past few years, and everything that she has gone th uh, gone through and all of the legal battles and her winning in the end and sort of the, the Britney renaissance that's happened. Um, I think some, some lucky person is gonna land that role and Anthony McCartan or someone is gonna write that movie and they are gonna win an Oscar for it, hands down. Britney Spears, that's an Oscar winning part right there. Um, and that's, it was weird coming out of Elvis, that was the number one thing I was thinking about was um, how that story uh, really could be an incredible film because um, it's so it's so full of ups and downs and twists and turns and it's tragic but it's also inspiring I, I guess I don't know I you know I'm definitely I wouldn't say I'm really a, a Britney fan but I you know I feel like I really like her as a person so mm -hmm. I would love to see something like that and going off of thoughts leaving Elvis, another musician who comes to mind who kind of has the same, not trajectory, but ups and downs of their career as Elvis is Michael Jackson. The movie version of his career would be kind of hard just because casting and like Elvis, he has a lot of personal life issues that would be kind of difficult to tackle in a, let alone a two hour 40 minute movie. 
that would need to be like a whole mini series. But I feel like Michael Jackson is another person to the level of Elvis who just has that icon status, who has the ups, the downs, the youthful start, the, the longevity, just there's a lot that can be delved into there. It's just how deep do they want to go? Because you always yeah. have to think about when you do these biopics, someone has to sign off on clearance. And if you're just paying them out to be not the ray of sunshine that most people think of them as can become a little tricky. Mm -hmm. have, have I told you ever about my Beatles movie? I'm not going to talk about it now, but I, I should, I'm going to tell you not, someday you about not. my Beatles movie. I'll tell you one day, someday about my Beatles movie. I want to make a Beatles movie someday. So we'll talk Is about the that style of time. yesterday. So you're going to have everyone forget the Beatles. Ever yeah, existed. exactly. Actually, Danny Boyle, Stole, stole my it. my idea. Stole it was actually yeah. I had this story about a guy who wakes up and no one else remembers the Beatles except it wasn't the Beatles. Actually, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone forgets the Red Hot Chili Peppers existed and nothing changes. Well, in the sense of stealing, we have news this week, and there's someone who th thinks every year they get their Oscar stolen from them. That's <laughs> Diane Warren, but she's actually going to get an Oscar this year. Not a real one, but an honorary one. No, no. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the news that Diane Warren is getting an honorary Oscar is I was just like, it's not a real one. It doesn't count. But my, the first thing I wrote this down on our like document that our script is her reign of terror over. I don't think is, so. Can we stop thinking that Diane Warren is going to come in and, you know, ruin our predictions every single year as she always does, you know, this year, Oh my God. I don't, did you predict uh, somehow you do to be nominated? I don't think I did. And honestly, I never really put her on my nominations and every year <laughs> I get proven wrong because I'm like, she does songs from movies that you never hear of that are nowhere. So like, why would they care to put this song in? Cause there's movies that like everyone hears if I have songs that don't get in. And mm -hmm. that's always my one little X I get every year on my nomination scorecard. And it will probably happen again this year. Cause I'm sure she has a song for something. No, I, I literally, I had somehow you do in my, my nominations and then I took it out like right before because I'm like, they're not going to put that song. They're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they did it. But the song category is one that is really interesting because there is a lot of cronyism in that category and a lot of um, favor. Uh, and I, I, do you remember the whole not scandal, but thing around that song, Alone Yet Not Alone, from 2014? I don't think I do. Okay, so this is what happened. So, because I remember clearly nominations morning, um, every single year nominations morning, I would literally like leave my homeroom class and I would go and like find a computer somewhere and sit down and like look at all the nominations. And I remember opening up and being like, what the hell is alone yet not alone? I've never heard of this before. This is, what? Um, and it turns out, so Alone Yet Not Alone was a movie that had not even really been released in theaters. It had done the one week qualifying run. Um, and it was an awful song. It was for like some weird Christian movie, like the type of movie like Unplanned or like Saving Christmas or God's Not Dead. Like it was that type of movie that there was this song nominated for. Um, and there was this whole, everyone was talking on the internet, what, what is the song? What is this movie? I've never heard of this before. It has less than a hundred ratings on IMDb. No one's seen it. Um, and it came out that the guy who was nominated for it, the writer of the song, 
um, had previously been the head of the music branch of the academy. Um, and he had personally sent out letters to every single one of the music branch saying, vote for me um, because, you know, I, I helped you get into the branch. Like, you know, this is, you know, you know me, you've been to events with me, we're friends, right? Um, and essentially, um, I don't know the exact details of what he did, but um, the Academy investigated and they found that the way that he campaigned was in breach of their rules. And so they took the, the song away and there was only four nominees that year. I think it was actually, I said 2014, I think it was 2013. Uh, it's whatever, there's one year in the 2010s where there's only four nominees for song. Um, and yeah, that, it was just a weird fiasco. But Diane Warren kind of benefits from the same thing because Diane Warren is friends with everyone in the music branch, which means that she writes a song, she gets in. It does not matter if it's a good song or not. Um, all that matters is Diane Warren wrote a song. We are going to put her on our ballots because we like her. Um, so <laughs> uh, there are issues with that. But that said, you know, does she deserve uh, an honorary Oscar? She's been nominated however many times. Yeah, she deserves one for sure. Well, who else is going to honorary Oscars this year? Um, there's also Peter Weir. Uh, and Peter Weir, you know, he's, it's a long time coming for Peter Weir. He's the director of The Truman Show, uh, of Picnic at Hanging Rock, as well as many other films. Uh, one that I really love, which is lesser known, is The Way Back. Um, as well as um, Yuzan Palsy, uh, who is a, um, she's a French West Indies director. Uh, she, I haven't seen any of her films, but I've uh, been wanting to watch Sugarcane Alley. I've been seeing a lot of things about it. Um, I'm really interested in watching it. I've just never actually seen it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a cool lineup of three people to get Oscars this year. Yeah, I always think the Governor Awards are really interesting and cool every year because it's nice to see people in the industry get awarded in some way, be recognized because everyone wants to be recognized for because they do a lot of hard work. But you mentioned not really seeing any of uh, one of their like films. And there's a film that none of us are going to see for a while because it got delayed. And that's Yorgos Lanthimos' new release, Poor Things. So poor us. Yeah. We won't see it. Poor us, poor things is gone. Also, and uh, it's rumored that next goal wins, despite the fact that Taika Waititi tweeted about it this week and said, um, I haven't, you know, I, there was a full year where I didn't watch the movie. It's been done for ages. Um, there was an insider at Fox Searchlight who said that uh, they don't know why Taika tweeted that because the movie is not finished editing, will be finished by the end of the year will not be released by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So that's the rumor right now. Next Goal Wins uh, is looking like it might be pushed back again. We've been waiting for this movie since 2020. Um, they finished filming before, before the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, here we are, and it might be three years later. Uh, the other rumor that I heard with that as well is that Next Goal Wins uh, is not going to win next. Uh, I've heard that it's just not that kind of movie. Uh, it's mm -hmm. going to be a fun studio movie, but it's not an Oscar contender. So I did have it in my ballot last week, my top 10, and it is way the hell off of it now. Um, and the next thing that we wanted to uh, talk about a little bit is something that I'm really excited about being from Toronto. 
uh, is that TIFF is announcing their first lineup this week. Uh, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to be seeing the films uh, and I'm really excited to talk about very soon some of the first films that we're going to know because when we see that first lineup, we then know a little bit more about what movies the festivals are positioning uh, for awards. You know, we start to see what do we think could be a people's choice contender? What do we think from this could get into best picture? What are the things that we've never heard of before that might just make it? Uh, so I'm really excited for that. I don't know about you, Dill. Is there like a specific movie that you're really just anticipating and hoping that's on the list? Oh my God, there's, there's so many, so many that I'm like really anticipating. I mean, I've heard rumors that Babylon is skipping fall festivals, but if Babylon does come to TIFF, I am there instantly. Like right away, I'm there watching Babylon. Uh, so I really hope Babylon's there, but you know, otherwise, uh, I feel like it's a solid bet to uh, imagine that Bardo is going to be there, the new Inyaritu film, uh, which I'm very excited for. And uh, also, how could I forget Women Talking? Uh, Women Talking is the one that I think when we see uh, it in the Venice lineup, in the Telluride lineup, and in the TIFF lineup, all three of those, we're going to immediately know that is a contender. That is a movie that we need to be taking seriously. I know we're already taking it seriously, but we need to be taking it even more seriously uh, because, you know, I would start asking questions like, can this win the People's Choice Award? Can this win the Venice Golden Lion? Um, which I'm really, really excited for. Um, but anyways, I think it's about time that we get into the main topic of today's podcast, which is a movie that we both saw, uh, we both enjoyed, which is Elvis. Yes, Baz Luhrmann's sixth film, and it's been nine years since The Great Gatsby, which I know is a very controversial film, surprisingly. I really liked it, but I surprisingly like it. has a lot of people who really don't like it. But I guess that makes sense because, like, all of Baz's movies are kind of like that. If you're on board with his style, you're going to like it. If you don't like his style, you're really not going to enjoy yourself. Yeah, and that's true. You're, you know, there's – his style – it makes people fight about his movies. There's no such thing as just like a well-liked Baz Luhrmann movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's polarizing, you love it or you hate it. Uh, and I'd say the same thing about Elvis. I think that it's going to really throw a few people off, but I think a lot of people are gonna like it as well. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, I thought it was better than Greg Gatsby actually. I did as well. I really did not know what to think about Elvis like 10 minutes into the movie. There's a very bold choices made in the first 10 minutes that I definitely did not see coming and really threw me for a loop. But once I like gathered myself, I was like, okay, I can rock with this. I had a great time with it. And I felt like for a two hour and 40 minute movie, that felt like two hours. It flew yeah. by. Yeah. Something that I, I was really thinking about the entire way through is, so I have... I have a bit of a, a hatred <laughs> for formulaic um, music biopics. I call them Wikipedia biopics. Um, I really typically don't like this kind of movie where I feel like I'd get the same thing out of reading a Wikipedia article and listening to a greatest hits soundtrack. And the thing that I really liked about Elvis, about Baz Luhrmann's vision for Elvis, is that yes, it was a Wikipedia synopsis. It was totally a Wikipedia synopsis, but it proved to me that if you tell one of those stories with a distinct vision and with an idea in your direction and you have energy 
you have passion, that comes through and you can see it there. Um, and that's something that really differentiated this film for me from films like Bohemian Rhapsody um, or Respect or Get On Up. Um, it was a film that felt like it had more on, not more on its mind because um, I don't think it's really the smartest film, um, but it definitely had a lot more energy and a lot more style than some of the typical films in this genre, which I really loved. I thought that Baz Luhrmann did some crazy stuff that really worked for me. And actually a lot of the things that he tried in The Great Gatsby, which I don't think fully worked then, including um, a hip hop soundtrack, which he used in The Great Gatsby to show the danger of jazz, not the danger of jazz, but that jazz felt dangerous and it felt current and it felt exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that I think didn't fully work for me in The Great Gatsby, but he uses a hip hop soundtrack here, um, which I think worked really well for me because it doesn't just play you Elvis's songs and say, hey, listen, this is Elvis. You, you should like it because it's Elvis. It also recontextualizes it and it shows you the way that Elvis felt back then, which is it felt fresh, it felt new, it felt exciting. So when we hear Doja Cat rapping over top of Hound Dog, um, it's not like it's gonna throw us off completely because it gives us the feeling that listening to Elvis back then would have, which it would, it doesn't really now. And there's also some really cool sound choices in the movie where it like blends the songs in and out of scenes um, and it adds instrumentation and noise to the songs that, you know, it, it makes the whole soundtrack feel so much more fresh. Um, yeah, I, I know you were saying that you hadn't really listened to much Elvis before, and this movie kind of got you into Elvis, right? Yeah, definitely. I, like I said, I probably, I like, I've heard like greatest hits and I know all like the Elvis impersonators, like the voice and everything, but like, I never like sat down and listened to like an Elvis album from front to end or like put Elvis in my personal playlist or anything along those lines. But like, since I saw the movie on Friday morning, I think I've listened to the soundtrack twice and specific songs a lot of times. Um, because like I said, I sat in traffic for a while. So I had a lot of time on my hand. And there's a lot of songs to like here. I'm not as high as you were about the use of some of the newer renditions in the film. Like I like those songs on their own, but like their use in the film really threw me off. Like I love Vegas by Doja Cat. The one you talked about earlier that is a new take on Hound Dog. But I thought its use in the movie was like pretty awful. Like it was just, <laughs> it was just so weird to hear. Cause like, I'm like, thinking in my head like how are they going to use Vegas because like they have a lot of these songs so not all of them are going to be like used used but like this one was the lead single so like this is going to be like focus if not just the end credit song and then when it comes on it's in the middle of like a, a scene where Elvis is walking around a city and it's a very hype and very energetic song and Elvis is just looking at suits and the the, just the the song while I like the song really did not fit the the, the mood but I guess that just goes to Baz's style because Baz is never going to give you what you think. He's going to make sure it's different, make sure it's in your face, bombastic, elastic, all of that stuff. And usually that works for me. And I think the editing in this movie really works for me. But some of the song, like Needle Drops did not. But like the actual Elvis songs or like the ones where they, they blend like a orchestral version of the song, like near the end at the airport scene or mm -hmm. some of the ones like I really like the... Uh, that's all right with the Tupia Shuffle, the Sway Lee and Diplo version of that song, and the um, the church with the Gary Clark Jr. character scene 
all four of those blended at one time I thought was amazing just like other ones like the Doja Cat and there was one more I can't remember which one it was just really like threw me for a loop and not a and not in a good way like most of the things in the Baz Luhrmann movie does yeah I I mean the the Doja Cat was the one that I just thought of first but Mm -hmm. you are right that that's probably not the best example because that is one that's very noticeable um and I feel like if you're noticing sound in a movie it's usually not great sound uh, but that said, I mean, for me, I really like that the movie didn't rely entirely on Elvis music because like I said before, uh, Wikipedia biopics, I feel like a lot of the time just feel like a greatest hits album. And for me, um, I appreciated that it used other music from Elvis that evoked the feelings of Elvis because I don't really like Elvis that much. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be something very controversial, maybe less controversial than something I'm going to say later, but I think that Elvis is the second most overrated um, musician of all time. Um, so well, I don't know, you know, Ooh, you don't want to know. <laughs> you I do not want to know. I think I do. <laughs> you don't want to know. Um, but, uh, so I really liked that part of the movie. I'm going to be honest. Um, now I think we, we have to talk about the performances because when it comes to a music biopic, the number one thing that we have to mention is performances because mm-hmm. performances in music biopics win awards uh, and who do we have here we have austin butler former disney kid uh who is playing elvis presley uh we also have tom hanks who is playing jared leto in house of gucci yes yes he is and i mean as we mentioned earlier baz Luhrmann, the director to me he bedazzled me using a word I think you'll like Baz uses just in normal conversation. Yeah. And I know it's June, and this may be hyperbolic to say, but give Austin Butler the Oscar right now. I know there's other performances coming this year, but if Rami Malek can win, if uh, Renee Zellweger can win, why can't Austin Butler? Because Austin Butler is doing so much more than both of them did. And we'll have more thoughts about the movie as a whole later, but I feel like without Austin Butler, this movie does not really work. And one of the reasons why it doesn't really work is for that other performance that you did mention was Tom Hanks. At times, I don't know if he's great or if he's horrible because there's times you really feel the campness of his performance. You're like, I'm loving what's going on. I'm loving no, whatever the <laughs> randomness he's saying. And at other times you're like, is this really like the best choice we had? Like, did we just cast him because he's Tom Hanks? Or I don't know, there's, there's there would be like scenes where at the start of the scene, I would hate it. And by the end, I would love it. Or there'll be scenes where at the start, I'm like, I'm rocking. And at the end, I'm like, can we please just like get away from him? Because the one I really just, I think encapsulates everything is a scene near the beginning where Tom Hanks is talking with his first person he's managing before Elvis. And they hear Elvis on the radio. At the start of the scene, you're really like, Tom Hanks is like the main character. At this point in the movie, he's the only voice you've really heard. And then, so you're like, okay, I'm rocking with this. And there's some editing choices that happen before we get to that scene that like really engross you into the movie. And then they start talking about Elvis singing um, like black music. And then they say, but he's white. And then Tom Hanks stone cold looks almost into the camera and goes, he's white. And then we cut to the next scene. I'm like, this is, this is, this is like you said, Jared Leto and House of Gucci. It's so on the nose, so camp, so exactly like what you're not supposed to do that it kind of actually works. Yeah, well, I guess the thing that I think about it is I don't blame Tom Hanks for this. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't blame him at all. Um, this is Baz Luhrmann's thing. He gets people to give very heightened performances. I just rewatched Moulin Rouge, 
which is a film that when I first saw, I absolutely hated. I liked it more this time that I watched it. Um, but I feel like I'm just more used to the style. I'd never seen a Baz Luhrmann movie when I first saw that, and it just threw me off. Um, but there's one performance in that movie from the Duke, and mm -hmm. the Duke kind of always is like he he sounds like um like Lemonhead from Adventure Time, mm -hmm. like he always sounds like he's about to scream. Um, and when I watch Tom Hanks, I'm like, this is Baz Luhrmann's direction. This is not Tom Hanks. This is Baz Luhrmann telling Tom Hanks to just be so much. Um, but in that way, it's, it is so similar to Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Actually, the, the thing that um, Tom Hanks and this made me think of is, you know when Adam Sandler tries to do a baby voice to be funny? Yes. Like, have you seen Hubie Halloween? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks is doing Hubie Halloween in this. I I think Tom Hanks is he's doing a lot because I part of it what I think is Tom Hanks has such a noticeable voice that he's doing the voice of the Colonel, but then the Colonel yeah. in turn is trying to make it not seem that he's a foreigner and that he's actually like belongs where he's at. So then the the Colonel is doing a voice. So it's Tom Hanks doing a voice while that character is doing another voice. So it's three voices in one. But funny enough that you mentioned the Duke because the Duke, the actor, Richard Roxburgh, is actually in Elvis. He plays Elvis's dad. And that is the performance that I think is the worst in the movie. Worse than Tom Hanks. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even, I knew he was in the movie, but I didn't even notice him uh, there. But that's, that's how bad yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I, I can totally, I can see that. Now, one thing I will go back to, and this, this might be somewhere we disagree, which is, personally, um, I wouldn't give Austin Butler the Oscar. That's what I'm saying right mm -hmm. now. Um, and, you know, I, I liked him. I thought he did a very good impression, but I always have trouble getting on board fully with this type of performance. I had the same thing with Rami Malek. Um, I had the same thing with Taron Egerton. Um, I had the same thing with Renee Zellweger. Uh, list goes on with Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin, you know, like I, I just find a lot of the time when people do famous people in a movie, um, specifically famous singers, they spend so much time focusing on getting the voice and getting the um, mannerisms and getting the things that people recognize that I find sometimes the performance is a little lost in that. Um, and not to say Austin Butler was bad. He gave a very good impression. But I think for the first hour and 20 minutes, I didn't see the person. I saw the impression. Um, and I think near the end, he really nailed some moments that felt very vulnerable, very human. Um, but for most of the movie, I kind of felt like he was giving more of the impression of who Elvis was rather than who Elvis was, you know? Um, and so, I don't know, I, does, is he worthy of being nominated for sure? Would I, at the end of the year, put him in my top five? I'm gonna say probably not, um, but it's very hard to do what he did so well. He changed his voice. He uh, really nailed the mannerisms. He really, really nailed the impression. But this is a gripe I have with the Academy, is that very often it feels like they're awarding the most acting rather than the best acting. And at the end of the year, is Austin Butler going to be giving the most acting? Very likely. Uh, but is it going to be the best acting? I might 
debate that a little bit. Um, but again, I, I think that he, he really knocked it out of the park with giving a fantastic rendition of a person that everyone knows and is familiar with. So we both agree that Austin Butler should at least be in the conversation for actor. So that's one nomination. And if we look at Baz Luhrmann's other movies, he's pretty consistent with getting nominations. His first movie, Strictly Ballroom, did not get a nomination, but then he had William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet that came out in 96, which did get a nomination for art direction for Catherine Martin. Keep that name in mind because she's going to come up a Catherine lot here. In he is, and it's worth Luhrmann. noting as well for Romeo and Juliet, that was probably just outside the top five for Best Picture because at the BAFTA Awards, it, went, it won Best Director and it won Best Adapted Screenplay, right? So, true. you know, that is something that is going to, you know, it came, probably came very close to getting into the Oscar race. But carry on, Dill, carry on. What came next after Romeo So next Juliet? is arguably Baz Luhrmann's biggest Oscar player of all time. It had eight Oscar nominations for Moulin Rouge in 2001. It had a picture, an actress, an art direction, a cinematography, a costume, an editing, a makeup, and a sound. A lot of categories that Elvis could parallel, just obviously switching actress for actor. And it even won in costumes and art, both for Catherine Martin again. And Moulin Rouge is a movie you mentioned earlier that you're not a huge fan of. I'm in the same boat. I've only seen it once. And I saw it for the first time about a month ago because I was on a little Baz Luhrmann kick and in preparation for this because like I love Romeo and Juliet and I love Greg Gatsby. So like I should see what most people say is his best. And there the crazy sporadic editing kind of took me out. I feel like on a rewatch, I would probably like it more like you were saying, but on that first viewing, not really knowing what I'm getting myself into. Cause like Moulin Rouge is like head and toe above shape or Romeo and Juliet and Greg Gatsby. And yeah. Yeah, it was just bombastic and not bombastic in like a good way, at least to me. I think it's it's one of the, I liked it a lot more this time is what I'll say. I think for me, what I still don't really love is I don't like jukebox musicals. So like hearing a bunch of people in like suits in 1890 France singing Smells Like Teen Spirit is like not the vibe for me. Yeah. And I love musicals, but I, I just do not like that. But um. I did like the editing and I will actually say, I think that Moulin Rouge is one of the weirdest movies to ever be nominated for best picture. And arguably there's a lot of people who said it probably could have won if a musical didn't win the year before. Oh, musical won the year after. The year after, sorry. I got my two mixed up. Oh, but <laughs> yes, a lot of people say, that's what it was. People said that the musical for the year after had a lot of momentum because of Moulin Rouge and the love it had for the year before. That's what it was. I do not doubt it. I don't doubt it. Um, that Chicago honestly probably did win on the coattails of Moulin Rouge. Although Chicago is a better movie. And I will say a blasphemous statement. I haven't seen Chicago. It's on my to watch list. Wow, Dill, you, you got to watch Chicago. You got to watch Chicago. It's, I, it's on my list. I've been meaning to get to it. I just really suck at watching stuff at home. But I will be watching a movie at home this week that we will talk about a little later. But following up Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann took a little bit of a break. Uh, seven years. That came with Australia. That only got one nomination, but Catherine Martin again. And then 2013, The Great Gatsby had two nominations, and it won both of them for costumes and production design, which, guess what it was? Catherine Martin. She's got six nominations with Baz. Mm-hmm. She's won four of them. And what is she doing with Elvis? The costumes and the production design. So, Matt, what nomination like, scale do you think Elvis has a chance for? Well, you know, I, I think that there, 
Elvis is definitely making it into the Oscars. I mean, you mentioned with Australia in 2008 that that only got one nomination, and it's commonly regarded as Baz Luhrmann's worst film, and his worst film that got pretty tepid response, it still got a nomination for costume design. So are we going to be seeing Elvis on nominations morning? Yes, we are, no matter what. Um, there is no way that Elvis will be entirely missing. Um, but how much is it going to get? Um, I am saying, I think that it has three nominations minimum. Um, I would say the rough order of how I think it's going to play out is costume design. It is a lock. It is a contender for a win, especially if Babylon maybe doesn't have as impressive costumes as we might think it would. Um, so Elvis is contending for a win in costume design for sure. Uh, then the next most likely I'd say is actor uh, with Austin Butler. Um, and then I think another one that is absolutely guaranteed for Elvis is production design. I do not think that Catherine Martin will be winning for this one, especially as there is a new Avatar movie coming this year and Babylon, which will have the most ridiculously huge, massive, expensive production design of the year. Um, I think that one of those will probably take co uh, production design, but uh, Elvis is going to be nominated, mark my words. I think it is locked for at least three. I also think it's pretty likely to get into sound, to makeup, uh, as well as maybe to editing. It could get an editing nom, it's a very edited movie. Um, and, you know, there's some other things that it could get. Is it going to get into picture? We definitely think different things about that. Mm -hmm. Is it going to get into supporting actor? You know, Jared Leto almost did he last almost did. year. So it's not like uh, a performance that people are saying is bad can't get in, especially if there's a, uh, some love for the movie, uh, which I think that's the only reason why House of Gucci did not get Jared Leto in is that no one liked House of Gucci and people do like Elvis. Um, and otherwise, you know, what are some other things that we think it could get? Could it get song? We've got obviously the Doja Cat song. Could that make it in? Who it knows? Um, I, I think minimum three. I'm not too sure. What do you think, Dill? I think the minimum is at four. The same thing that you had, but I also think makeup's in because of the prosthetic work on Hanks and the subtle work to Austin Butler throughout the movie. Because it's, it's there, and especially as they get to the bake-off, there's a lot they can do with using Butler, using Hanks, and the fact that we mentioned this last week, and this is what I'm, I think I'll be saying with Elvis all the way until at least Don't Worry Darling comes out, is this is Warner Brothers' big push for the year. We've seen in the past, when they push a movie, they get stuff. Case in point, Joker. Obviously, Elvis is not to the scale of the, the belovedness that Joker was, but Joker was like their sole push that year, and Joker had, I think, tied for the most nominations that year, and it got in a lot of places people weren't even having on the radar for it. So I feel like Elvis is something that's going to stay involved, even if the categories maybe shouldn't be there, it's going to be competing there. Because, I mean, the costume works great. Austin Butler's great. The production design. I think the makeup's awesome. And then, like you said, sound has a chance. Editing usually goes hand-in-hand -hand with sounds, picture, and even song. Because if it's a weak year for song, you have names. If you name check, you got Doja Cat. You got uh, Eminem did a song. You have... Um, Sway Lee, there's a lot of big name artists who did original songs for this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess something that we're differing on here is that, you know, and, and if Don't Worry Darling does flop, I probably will put Elvis in my top 10. But that's where we are different right now is that um, we both agree that Warner Brothers is getting a movie into Best Picture. 
Um, but I very much think it's still going to be Don't Worry Darling. Um, and you're thinking it's going to be Elvis. Now, you know, I saw the trailer again for Don't Worry Darling before Elvis. And it just, it captivates me so much. Like, I, I've read the script. I know where the story's going. Um, it's, it's so exciting to me. And some of the things that it looks like Olivia Wilde's doing with the direction has me really hopeful for it. But we're going to see if Don't Worry Darling does not perform the way that I'm expecting it to. Elvis is going in my top 10, mm -hmm. hands down. Um, but until then, I'm going to keep it out. Mostly because of a little something called I Want to Dance with Somebody, uh, which is obviously the Whitney Houston biopic that is coming out later this year, uh, which I think might put a little bit of a damper on Elvis's groove. And that brings us to our next topic, which is a little something called uh, musical biopics and how they always conquer the Oscars. Um, so we're obviously looking at the past of Baz Luhrmann's work, but when we're talking about Elvis, we also have to talk about the past of music biopics. How have they done at the Oscars? What have they gotten? And what is the best case and worst case scenario for Elvis at the Oscars? So. Dill, what, what do you think the best case that we can get with Elvis is just based on, you know, some, some stuff that's already happened? So I feel like the best, I mean, it could get more nominations or I'm not talking about wins here. I, would, I guess I would say for equivalent for nominations, I guess would be to like the level of like a Bohemian Rhapsody where it gets in that like five to like seven range. Um, because like, like we mentioned, there's like the three or four that we feel pretty confident in, and then, if there's love for the movie, adding a lot of the editing or the song or the sound or stuff along those lines. But I, I feel like it's going to do a lot better than some that are like higher rated than it because there's a lot of musical biopics that come out every year and some get rave reviews and still just don't really go anywhere because the Oscars are really weird when it comes to biopics because they either really love the movie or they don't really give it much attention at all. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody now, and I think we have very different opinions on this one. I think we do. Bohemian Rhapsody is a film that you really like, right? I remember seeing that movie the opening weekend. It was one of the T-Mobile discount code movies. So you got $4 IMAX tickets. So I went, my mom went, my granddad, my grandma, we all went. Um, first time we had all seen a movie in IMAX ever. And... Um, we all had a blast. We all loved it. Yes, that film has flaws, but when you're just so engrossed into a movie, sometimes the little critic in your head just is like, I don't care about the flaws. I'm just having so much fun and I'm loving everything that this movie is doing. Is the editing bad at points? Yes. But is the editing really good at other points? Yes. Is Rami Malek lip syncing? Yes. But is everything coming together so well? I thought so. And I think one reason why I really adore Bohemian Rhapsody is because in these musical biopics, my favorite thing about them, maybe this is the general consensus, but I like when they do concert scenes. And my favorite part of Elvis is the whole Vegas bit at, at the end. And my favorite part of Bohemian Rhapsody was Live Aid. And that's what you end the movie on. So you end leaving on this high note where you just feel on top of the world. And I feel like that blended to me and to a lot of people in the Academy when they showered Bohemian Rhapsody with four wins out of its five nominations. The only thing it didn't win was picture. Yeah, which is so, it's so wild to me that, oh my God. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna be a buzzkill right here um, because if I had to, I've seen, I think 
around like 350 of the best picture nominees of all time. Um, and I would probably rank Bohemian Rhapsody in the five worst movies to ever be nominated for best picture. Nice. Um, I really dislike Bohemian Rhapsody and it's not the editing for me. Um, you know, it's, it's partially the editing. I think that Queen really did a hack job on the movie because they, uh, their contract literally specified that um, Freddie Mercury, despite being the main character, cannot have more screen time than any of the other members of the band. Um, and so the way that that movie is cut um, is like, is it bad editing? Yes. Do I understand why it's bad editing? Yes. And is it impressive that they managed to actually do that? Yes. Um, but really, uh, for me, um, I've talked about my hatred of Wikipedia biopics. And this is the most Wikipedia of Wikipedia biopics in my mind. Like, I got pretty much nothing out of uh, watching that movie that I couldn't have gotten out of reading the Wikipedia article for Queen while playing a Queen Greatest Hits album in the background. Um, I don't know. wasn't for me. I didn't like Rami Malek in it. Um, but, and this is, I've been warning you for months. Uh, I know. I'm, I'm really excited thing. to hear what this is. Um, I think that the, the main thing, when it comes to enjoying um, one of this type of movie, uh, it lives or dies on do you like the music? Um, and I'm going to be honest, I love a lot of Queen music, but I also think uh, I mentioned earlier that I think Elvis is the second most overrated uh, I, I see uh, we're going of now. all time. I think Queen is the most overrated band um, of all time. And that's not to say I don't love some Queen songs. I think Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the best songs ever written. I think that We Are the Champions is one of the best songs ever written. I think that Killer Queen is one of the best songs ever written. I think that Somebody to Love is one of the best songs ever written. I think that Queen has written like 15 of the best songs ever written. And they've written like 150 more songs that I think are just the most generic garbage. It's like landfill music. Um, and to me, uh, when I'm thinking of a band that like, they are a singles band um, and they have some fucking fantastic singles. But when it comes down to it, for me, the way I listen to music, I don't listen to playlists, I listen to albums and mm -hmm. I cannot get through a Queen album. Um, you know, like they, they have so many amazing songs and then like for every amazing song they have, they have 10 songs that don't work, which kind of mirrors what Tom Hanks says at the beginning of Elvis. It doesn't matter yes. if you do 10 stupid things as long as you do one smart thing. And that's how I feel about Queen is they would put out like one amazing song and then everyone would forget about the 10 like really shit songs that they made. Um, and so, I don't know, I think that it kind of, irks me seeing a movie about a band that I'm like I have a complicated relationship with be so widely like everyone being like oh my god Queen is the best thing ever and I'm like mm, but they don't have any good albums like I'm obnoxious basically that's okay uh, that's my exact argument for why I don't like Drake so we, that's we really fair care. that's fair Drake has like one great song on every album except the new one which does actually certified lover boy is worse but you know yes, well, this I is agree. not a music this is not a music well, podcast. On the topic of music, between... we have some more biopics, and <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop ranting about about Queen. For now. No, it's okay. That your description of why 
you didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. I think it's one of the reasons why I didn't like Moulin Rouge is because I didn't rock with any of the music. That's and the only song I sort of yeah. liked was one they barely even dove into, and it was the the Can Can one, which they yeah. play like five seconds of, but the songs on the soundtrack went like Apple, and I like that song. But in the movie, it's like one little bit of that giant, huge like ten song combo that has like smells like Teen Spirit and a few other ones. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I guess you know, just I'll, I'll say one last thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, and then I'm done talking about it. But it's that it's not that I don't like the music in the movie because, like I said, Queen has some amazing songs. It's that I felt like the movie rested way too much on being like, we don't have to do a whole lot more than just play the songs and people will like this. And that's, I guess, how I felt about that. And that's what I liked about Elvis is that it didn't feel like it was resting on its laurels. It didn't feel like it was saying, you know the music of Elvis, you love Elvis. Now that's all we're going to give you. And that's what I felt out of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, And some of the other movies we're going to talk about for music biopics, I didn't feel that way about. I felt like they gave me more than just like, oh, I like the music to this movie. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, let's let's dive into the history of some of these music biopics because um, I am done ranting about Bohemian Rhapsody for now. For now. For I'm now. Sure back, maybe even next week. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, but when we look at uh, the history of Oscars and this type of movie, it all goes back to Coal Miner's Daughter, which is a 1980 film uh, which scored seven nominations, including Best Picture. And Coal Miner's Daughter is a film about Loretta Lynn, uh, who is a country singer who has had quite a turbulent life. And uh, out of those seven nominations, including Best Picture, it won one award, Best Actress for, why am I losing her name? Sissy Spacex. Spachik? SpaceX? Close enough. I don't know. Close enough. We apologize if you're listening. Yeah, we apologize for Sissy SpaceX. Um, So that one, now I'm going to skip a few years because there were some, you know, music biopics that kind of came and went in that time. But really, when we're talking about Oscars, we need to talk about 2000 to present because that's the modern era of the Oscars. And Mm -hmm. even more, it would be 2009 to present. But I want to talk about a few uh, in the early 2000s, including Ray. Uh, Ray, which is the Ray Charles biopic, uh, was 2004, scored six nominations, including Best Picture, and it won two awards. Actor for Jamie Foxx, uh, which my favorite bit of trivia about is that Jamie Foxx won an Oscar and a Grammy for playing Ray Charles, uh, which I love that because he impersonated Ray Charles on Gold Digger uh, by Kanye West and won a Grammy for it. But it also won sound mixing. So, you know, there we've got one got six nominations, two wins. Then we have Walk the Line, which got five nominations, not including Best Picture, uh, but it won uh, an acting award. So we're seeing a trend here. A lot of acting wins. It won uh, Best Actress for Reese Witherspoon in that movie. Then we've got La Vie en Rose, the uh, French film, which is The Life of Edith Piaf, uh, starring Marianne Cotillard, who, you guessed it, she won the friggin' award. Then in about 2008, we get a movie called Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which is fantastic. And it satirizes this whole genre. uh, And it basically raised the question of how do you keep making this kind of movie after this movie just tore them apart? Um, And so after that, there's about like eight years where there's not a single music biopic at the Oscars. Uh, after that, we get Notorious, which is Notorious Big, uh, which got nothing. We get Nowhere Boy, John Lennon, nothing. Behind the Candelabra, 
maybe could have gotten something if it didn't go straight to HBO, but that's Liberace. It got nothing. All is by my side. Jimi Hendrix, nothing. Jersey Boys, Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, nothing. Get on up, nothing. James Brown, you know, Love and Mercy, nothing for Brian Wilson. Um, and then in 2015, we get a little bit of a turnaround. Straight out of Compton, the NWA story comes out uh, in 2015. And it kind of, I think, revived the genre. It showed that you could make this sort of formulaic movie release in the summertime, and it was going to get box office attention. It was going to get love. And it was going to get an Oscar nomination for original screenplay. And then after that, a few years go by and we come back to Bohemian Rhapsody, which I've already talked about enough, and it lights the genre on fire, uh, and it brings us to where we are now. Five Oscars, best picture, um, four Oscars at one. It only didn't win picture. It won actor again, because of course it won actor again. Then after that, we've got Judy, which got two nominations, one win for actress, because they keep winning acting awards. And then after that, we've got a few films that underperform, including Rocket Man, which, God, I, I really like Rocket Man. And I do wish that, that got the love that Bohemian Rhapsody did. Um, but that one underperformed. It got a song nomination. And afterwards, we see Respect underperform, which is Aretha Franklin's movie. Uh, and then, of course, there's the United States versus Billie Holiday, which got an acting nomination. And some people even thought all the way to the end that it could win, didn't win. But, um, you know, that's, that's the history that we're looking at. So when we're looking at Elvis, you know, is that going to be respect? Is it going to be Billie Holiday? Or is it going to be Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it going to be Ray? What are we expecting out of this? So where do you think this falls on that spectrum, Dill? After your rundown there, I think the one that speaks most to the terms of like what I personally think this movie is going to do is Ray with six nominations, one being picture, one being actor and one being sound. Cause like, as we mentioned earlier, we had like the three, four, even getting up to six would include a sound nomination. Um, but I feel like it's worst case scenario is going to be the, the walk the line where it's going to get an acting nomination and a possible win there. Maybe not, but it's going to, it's going to hit the categories where it needs to be. Cause like, one thing you mentioned earlier I really liked um, that you said was about Rocket Man. how even though it underperformed, it's still like the type of movie that these biopics should aspire to be. Because I like you were mentioning earlier about mm -hmm. the whole using the music as not a crutch, but as a way to tell the story. And I think Rocket Man does a great job of that, making it like a dream-like sequences that come in where they just bust out on the song and dance, which I thought really worked for the film. And I feel like if Rocket Man comes out any other year, but 2019, it gets in for a yeah. lot of categories. Just 2019 is arguably the best year in the modern Oscar history for just the type of movies that get nominated at the Oscars. There's just so much there. Cause if you go to best actor um, for Taron Edgerton, who ended up missing out, there was like a nine to 10 names going up into nomination morning that you thought realistically had a shot to get in. Yeah. The other thing though, and here's something that I would caution with Elvis is that um, I do agree. I think that in most years, Rocket Man would get in, but I think it was also where it was positioned. Uh, because Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't think would have even sniffed the Oscars if it wasn't released in November. I think November it was either late October, or early November. Um, and it was released in Oscar season, which kind of gave it that, uh, that wind in its sail to get to the Oscars, um, especially because the reason it made it to the Oscars was because it ended up having a huge showing at the Golden Globes. Now, does 
Bohemian Rhapsody end up having that huge showing at the Golden Globes if it didn't release like a month before Golden Globe nominations. I'm not so sure about that. And to me, Rocketman maybe could have gotten that same um, hype, that same love if it released at the same time that Bohemian Rhapsody did. Um, which makes me think, is Elvis getting a June release going to hurt it at all? Because Rocketman had the same thing. I still am going to ride and die on this whole Warner Brothers going to have something, whether it's Don't Worry Darling or Elvis. And until Don't Worry Darling proves me wrong, which I hope, because I'm always for good movies, um, coming out later in the season to show like this can be a contender, um, I'm still going to rock with Elvis just because of the whole biopic and music and just wanting something to that level getting recognized. Because I feel like this is going to be the year where even though we're in the second year of 10, this is going to be the year where we're going to see, I think, a lot of just like bigger movies, which we'll get into a second with uh, my picture lineup, where I have, I think, at the moment, three or four movies that are quote, quote, box office hits in my 10. And I just think this is going to be a trend that will start this year. We're going to have at least 200 million domestic grocers get into Best Picture. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's a very good call to make. Now, Something that I want to ask, because I posed this just before we got into this whole breakdown of uh, music biopics, is I want to dance with somebody. Because we've gone through this whole list of music biopics, and something you're mm -hmm. going to notice is there's not multiple in each year. Yeah. Um, even in 2019, there was Judy and there was Rocketman, and Judy got the love, it got the acting win, um, and Rocketman did not. So we've got the Whitney Houston biopic coming out later this year. I want to dance with somebody, which is um, being directed by the director of Harriet, which I don't think is a good sign because I think the weakest part of Harriet was the direction in my mind. Casey Lemons, I think, um, left a lot to be desired with that movie for me. Um, but the movie is being written by Anthony McCartan, who has the best track record um, in, in Oscars. It's unbelievable. Like this guy has written um, I can't remember how many movies total, but he's written The Theory of Everything, um, The Two Popes, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Darkest Hour. I feel like I'm missing one. But three out of those movies that I just named were nominated for Best Picture, and The Two Popes was probably number 10. So when we're looking at people with a pedigree for the Oscars, you've got Anthony McCartan right there with I Want to Dance with Somebody. So I ask you this, Dill, is I Want to Dance with Somebody going to impact Elvis's award shots, specifically for Austin Butler? I feel like it definitely could. I right now think I Want to Dance with Someone is a lock in actress and a lock in, um, I think I just have it for a lock in an actress, but I think it has a great shot in costumes and makeup and sound and screenplay. I just don't know about its picture status because like I like you said, there's never really two. So I don't know if they can put two into picture, but I guess you break up, bring up great points. He has a great track record with getting in. So that, and it does have the great Christmas release date later in the year. And so I feel like that's definitely a upset card that can be played. One thing, I know this is kind of like shallow to say, that poster really turned me off on the movie. Um, I know that has nothing to do with the actual movie itself because there's a lot of movies with great posters that are bad and a lot of movies with bad posters that are good. But that poster looks so bad and 
really dropped my excitement and levels for that movie because I play in a league that's kind of similar to our film ball league, but for the box office. And that's a movie that I drafted in that before the poster came out. And now I'm like, ah, oh, did I draft that too early or something? But um, I feel like the, I feel like it's definitely going to be a player and definitely could affect Elvis. I just feel like they have enough going in different directions where they could coexist because it's an actor and an actress and not two actors or two actresses sort of thing. Yeah, I guess I guess where I'm coming from on it is that I think that that releasing at the prime time, even if it's not a huge hit, it's not a huge critical beloved thing, um, I do think that having two films which are going to feel very similar, uh, I think it's going to hurt Elvis. I don't have either of them getting into Best Picture right now, but, um, you know, I think I Want to Dance with Somebody is going to hurt its chances because I think that the two films are going to be going head to head. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how I'm feeling, but I guess, you know, the two of us, we're on the same page. We really think that this film, Elvis, will be at the Oscars in some way, shape, or form, possibly as a winner. I, I think it definitely has a solid shot to win costumes. And then after that, it's, I think, I think technically at the moment I have Butler winning actor for me, but that's just because I very much value stuff I've seen ahead of stuff that hasn't come out yet because I feel like Hugh Jackman or Domingo or someone random could just come in and steal that crown very easily just because Elvis is a borderline I would say eight to like 12 in picture at the moment while those other movies they may be the same thing but if they come out and are like great they can be like a five or a six on the best picture scale sort of thing because there's a lot of buzz around Colm Domingo he's like the Hollywood darling at the moment he's just ready to, to explode on the scene and Hugh Jackman's been that guy, and Florian Zeller has a record with actors and his movies. He's one for one so far, so could make it two for two. That's true. And with that said, we're uh, we're getting into the predictions part of this podcast. So let's just carry on the actor train because I've got my best actor predictions right here. We've gone through a few now, um, and but this is the first time we're getting to one of the major above the line categories that is not best picture. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of take you through my top 10 and Dill, feel free to comment on any of it at any point, because I know there's going to be some things we might disagree with. We might agree with, we might go a little head to head with. Um, so this is the way I see the state of the race right now. I mean, you're totally right. Um, and the reason I have everything everywhere all at once at number one is in best picture, which we've talked about before is because we've seen it we know it's good, right? And so, you know, if I'm looking at that beside other contenders, that's where I want to put it. So I get why you're putting uh, Austin Butler at number one, but for me, um, it just still looks like the state of the race is Coleman Domingo versus Hugh Jackman. Uh, currently, I have Coleman Domingo at number one for Rustin. Um, I think that's a film that he is going to get a lot of buzz around. I think he is going to be seen a little bit as overdue uh, because I don't believe he's he ever even been nominated for the award, uh, but he's been getting a lot of love in recent times. Uh, and I think that he can carry it all the way, especially with a character like Rustin. Um, but then in second place, I've got Hugh Jackman in The Sun. Now, I've on good authority, the role that he's playing is fantastic. I have not read the play, but I do have a friend and future guest of the podcast who has read the play The Sun by Florian Zeller and says that this is a hell of a role. 
Um, so Hugh Jackman, could he absolutely do it? Yes. Is he also someone who might be seen as overdue? Absolutely. Do I have the same level of expectations for the son that I had for the father? I don't think so. Um, I think that the father really benefited from being in 2020. Um, I also think that Anthony Hopkins had a great narrative and his performance was not just the best of the year. It's one of the best of all time. Um, that was pretty undeniable. So if the sun is a little bit less undeniable, um, then is Hugh Jackman a shoe in for the win? I'm not so sure about that. But of course, in number three, I've got Austin Butler in Elvis. Uh, for reasons that you've already talked about, we've seen it. We know it's good. Uh, we know that he is delivering the type of performance that gets in to the Oscars and potentially even wins. Who knows? Maybe he goes up to my number one spot once we get a little bit more word on Coleman Domingo, on Hugh Jackman, once we see a trailer, once we know, are those movies going to film festivals? Who knows? Uh, but Austin Butler is definitely win competitive. That's definitely something that we agree on, Dill. Yeah, I like how you have the basically 2020 rematch again at one and two between a George C. Wolf lead actor and a Florian Zeller lead actor. Uh, you just have the reverse order of how it ended up coming out, which, I mean, was the way that most people thought that night was going. I still like to hold my hat high being team Anthony Hopkins all season long because I remember when we had our film ball draft. I took the father, I think, in round three, maybe round two. Took it very early, but it ended up paying off at the end of the day. Uh, but, it really um, did. I think yeah. that so your I, top that's, three is my totally top three as well. Where, yeah, and maybe maybe this is a little bit of past bias because we've we've seen that battle happen in the past. We've seen mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman versus Anthony Hopkins. So maybe that's my bias of this has happened, so it will happen. Um, but at this point, Coleman Domingo and Hugh Jackman just seem like such strong contenders to me. But, you know, we've talked about the top three. I've also got, rounding out my top five, Brad Pitt in Babylon, who is playing a fantastic role. Now the question here is, does he go lead or does he go supporting? Because his role is not the main character of this movie. Um, but I think that they're gonna put him in lead because a lot of the movie revolves around him the same way that a lot of the movie revolves around Margot Robbie, despite the fact that she is also not the protagonist of Babylon. And at number five, this one's gonna be a little controversial because I know a lot of people are saying this movie is not gonna be a player. I've read the script. I think it's going to be a player, and it's Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Uh, now, The Whale is one that I don't think is going to be a Best Picture player. I think uh, if I'm looking at Darren Aronofsky's previous films, uh, he's the director of The Whale, of course. Um, this movie is not Black Swan, but it's The Wrestler. And The Wrestler got two nominations uh, for actor and supporting actress. And I think that's where The Whale is going to land. We're going to get a Best Actor nomination for Brendan Fraser and very possibly a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Sadie Sink, who's riding high on the best season of Stranger Things um, and uh, on a role that is super meaty. Um, she plays a psychopath, basically, in the movie, um, and she is going to nail this role. Um, so, you know, do I have both of them in? Absolutely. Do I have them in for makeup, too? Yeah. Uh, but then some other things that I think might be contenders, we've got Daniel Jimenez-Casho in Bardo. Uh, I think that we don't know too much about this role, uh, but we do know that Casho has been around. He's been making movies with Inyaritu and Coron for years. Um, and so could he get his time in the spotlight? Totally. I've also got Leonardo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, I've read the script for this one. I don't have a lot of hope 
um, in this movie in general. Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio is not the lead of this movie. Uh, I don't know why they've already said that they're campaigning him in the lead, um, unless the script has gone through some major rewrites, which I kind of hope it has. Uh, he is not the lead of the movie. And if he is the lead, there's going to be some problems because it's a, it's a little bit of a weird thing to make that character into the lead of this movie. Uh, there's going to be some controversy, is what I'd say. Then I've also got the, the real lead of Babylon, Diego Calva, uh, who is a bit of a smaller um, name, of course. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Diego Calva in anything that I know of, at least. Um, he is the main character of Babylon, but it feels a little bit to me like that classic thing where you've got the main character of the movie and then you've got another character who's very much not the main character of the movie, but is a bigger name um, and a flashier role, which means that they get nominated. And that's Brad Pitt, I think. Um, and then just tossing out some other things here that are possibilities that I don't really know about. Uh, Colin Firth, Empire of Light, could that happen? Maybe. Paul Mescal, After Sun, could that happen? I don't know. Um, but then a couple that I've seen, which I really like, we've got John Boyega in 892, which has been retitled into Breaking, uh, which I saw at uh, Sundance. It was, I think he is really great. Is he going to make it to the Oscars? Probably not. They have a shitty distributor. But could he make it to some critic awards? Totally. And Bill Nighy uh, in Living, uh, that's a really, really strong performance. Um, does Sony Pictures Classics have other priorities other than living? Definitely. But um, Bill Nye in this movie could totally come through. And then some other ones, you know, Adam Driver, White Noise. I don't have a whole lot of hope in White Noise, but I would be silly not to name that here. And Ray Fiennes in The Menu. There's another one I don't have a lot of hope in. Could he make it in here? Is he a Golden Globes contender? Totally. So, you know, that's that's the state of the race for me in acting. Uh, and how do you feel about that, Dill? Is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I, I like your list a lot. I am also on the fence with uh, Brad Pitt in Babylon. He is in my supporting actor. I think he's my number two at the moment. I just don't know, like you said, what they'll do with it because all the reports are that Calva is by far the lead and Pitt is not the lead. But like you said, that normally happens where the bigger name goes lead, like you said of Leonardo DiCaprio and Flower, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I think I had Cacho uh, and Bardo in my five. I don't have my uh, acting five up right now, but I think he was my number four. And then I had uh, Frazier at five, but we had the same top five besides that. And then my three, two, one was the reverse of yours. So I had Butler, Jackman, or yeah, Butler, Jackman, Domingo as my one, two. I'm really glad to hear that you have Frazier in your top five too, because I think Frazier is um, one that people are going to, by the end of the year, be like, yeah, this is pretty undeniable. I, which we'll get into here for some other categories. And we talked about the other week with everything everywhere all at once. I don't really know what A24 is doing with their campaigning. I am always of the belief they're going to campaign everything they can instead of focusing on one. And by that metric, the whale will get a campaign. Everything Everywhere All At Once will get a campaign. And a movie that you mentioned there at the end that got rave reviews at uh, the Cannes Film Festival, After Sun. I have as a very, very dark horse to possibly get in for a picture 15 or a picture 10. And then actor obviously could get in there as well for a fifth slot, especially if some of these bigger names that you have above maybe fizzle out. And um, yeah, it's really early and the acting race is one of those where there's a lot of names who come out late, but I feel like you have a very good list for being in June. Yeah, I mean, 
let's let's get into something else too. So you've got uh, is it costumes or production design that you got? This I week? went with costumes because that's the one I'm more confident with Elvis getting in. So I had Babylon at one still, but I had Elvis very high on its tails at number two. I have Killers of the Flower Moon at number three, just because Scorsese, uh, the Irishman got in. Scorsese is pretty with his bigger picture movies. They usually consistently get in here for costume design. I have Rustin at four, just because I don't feel like it will just be Coleman Domingo. I feel like some other things may get in. And um, my Rainey got in for costumes. So George C. Wolf's next movie, I have it there. And then I have The Woman King because those still photos that we got, I think it was last month, had some very good costume design works. So I it there at number five. But the movie I have at number six was one that um, I feel like technically could get in, but I just don't want to predict anything with Amsterdam at the moment. I feel like Amsterdam in reality is actually my number three, but I'm not touching that movie in any category for an actual top five or top 10 for picture until I know people are on board with it. And then I have, I want to dance with somebody at seven. And then after that, I had some movies down, but I feel like those, that top seven right now is all that's really important to me because like I had Don't Worry Darlene and the Batman down there just because um, we've seen visuals from Don't Worry Darlene and the Batman. We've seen the full movie and I really like the costume design. So that'd be maybe more wishful thinking on my end, but I'm very confident in my top three at the moment. It's just what is filling up that four and five if it's Rustin, The Woman King, Amsterdam, I want to dance with somebody. It's just picking two out of that bunch. That's really smart. I mean, I think this is a really great list that you've got. I also totally agree with The Woman King. I mean, we've seen stills from that. It looks stunning. Um, and if there's anywhere that that movie makes it in, I do think it's costume design. Um, now, some things that I feel uh, like I want to add to this. Um, obviously, Babylon, um, I, I, you have it at your number one. It's my number one, too. I think it's silly for it to not be anyone's number one until we see a trailer. Um, when we see a trailer, we might know a little bit more about Babylon. Um, and, you know, once we see a trailer, I might be switching Elvis to my number one spot or locking in Babylon and saying, let's just give that the Oscar right now because that there's nothing else that can take it. Now, I also feel the same way about Amsterdam. I think that I'm, it's probably more of a contender in this category than I want it to be, um, but I'm, I'm definitely not putting it in. Um, but I also, I just want to, I, I'm going to keep coming back to everything everywhere all at once uh, and just putting that forward anywhere that I can. But I think if voters do latch on to that movie, if it does become something that we're taking seriously as a picture contender, costumes are coming with it. Um, and the reason I say that is just because like that is a movie that has a shit ton of costumes. Uh, I mean, Jobu Tapaki is constantly shifting what she's wearing no matter like all the time it's new costume crazy outfits there's just a literal like it is a treasure trove of costume design and i think at the very end of the year even if everything everywhere all at once ends up being a non-player in most categories i think costume design is one that i'm still going to be feeling confident in um, because there are a lot of wild crazy costumes it's almost like they got like lady gaga's stylist to do that movie because there's so much there and i think a lot of the magic of that movie comes from the costume design so you know is this a movie that really feels like the typical costume design contender maybe not but is it one that i would say that you and everyone out there uh, should be looking out for in costumes totally um, and the other thing that I wanted to bring up in costumes is, of course, there's a new Black Panther coming out. 
is Black Panther going to be something to watch for in costumes? Yeah, I mean, it won last time, but at the same time, it won last time. So does that mm -hmm. mean that maybe it's something that we are going to overpredict because it's already done it? I like all your points about everything ever all at once. In fact, I'm going to add that to my 10 now. I'm placing that in at number nine behind Don't Worry Darling. You made great points. But for Black Panther, I'm, that's a movie that I'm just not putting on anything until I see it just because no one really knows what that movie's about yet. And yeah. I would assume we were going to get a trailer here soon because Thor's coming out and that's the next Marvel movie after it. But at the moment, we don't really know what direction they're going with the story. I feel like this could be a very divisive Marvel movie if there ever is such a thing um, outside of like the actual fandom, but from just a general like public, like their consensus of like how they take the Chadwick Boseman story and the T'Challa character and what they do with it. Because I feel like unlike a movie like Dune, where the second one's obviously going to get probably all the nominations the first one got and more, I feel like Black Panther is going to probably lose all the nominations and may not get a single one, which may be kind of a hot take or a bold take here. I just don't have very much faith in Wakanda forever at this very moment. Mm. No, that's, that's super fair. But, you know, transitioning to the next category, let's talk about a sequel uh, that you, you know, we really think could get everything that it's previous film got and more. Let's take it over to our weekly best picture roundup. So last week I did my best picture 10. Um, so this week we're going to hear from you. What's rising? What's falling? How are we feeling, Dill? So my, I have a list of 15 here that I brought today and I haven't had much movement, but I've had a little bit of movement. My top, I think my top five are all the same with Avatar, The Way of the Water at number one. I'm going to be bold like you are with everything ever all at once just in my own way with avatar here until either word comes out this movie isn't as good as it is or word is that babylon actually lives up or killers or bardo or something else that is here just shouts out to me like best picture winner but for the moment i want to be different so i'm going with avatar at one i got babylon at I two still that. i got killers at three i have bardo at four just because i feel like this right here at four these four, I think, are getting in for picture. And at the top four, maybe Babylon, Killers, and Bardo aren't actually two, three, four, but I think these are getting in for picture, so I have them higher. And then that's yeah, what that's I bring to the, the women talking, the Fablemans, who I feel like are pretty good in for picture, but I can see a world where they don't get in. So that's why I have them at five and six. And then seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 are all movies I think are interchangeable. That's everything, everywhere, all at once. I have at seven, which is... Uh, up since the last time that we talked about my uh, best picture movies and I feel like it has a pretty good shot I just will be wary of A24 until they prove me otherwise because every time they've gotten a movie in for picture in the last few years it's because it's been their only movie and this year as we talked about they had the whale they have other things that could maybe sway them into another direction and then I have she said at eight universal getting two pictures in for best picture could be a tall task to ask but I can see it happening. And then at number nine is where I have Top Gun Maverick. I have it increasing from the last time that we talked. This box office performance for it is just going crazy. It's unreal. And this is what I was talking about earlier, about 100 million domestic grocers, at least two of them. Avatar's going to get there. Top Gun's got it. And I think Elvis will get in. And I have Elvis at 10, which I think, even though it's only going to make about 30 to 35 million into opening weekend, it's going to have the legs. I think it's going to get to 100 million domestic. And I think that's going to be what 
keeps Elvis in the conversation throughout the rest of the year just because of its box office draw. And it will be one of those movies I feel like will do very good on, on demand, on DVD rentals, just because if it's older skewing demographic, it's going to stay in the conversation just, just because I'm, I'm 22, but I am an old head and use Facebook a lot. And all I've seen on Facebook for the last two months is Elvis stuff. I can't get away from it, even though like I didn't do anything to get myself into an Elvis fan group on Facebook or anything like that. I get all these posts. So there's, there's a crowd out there for it. And it's the older skewing crowd and the Academy, even though they're making a lot of changes are still very older skewing and Warner brothers. They have campaign money. And this is the movie I feel like they're going to throw it all into. But if Elvis does drop out or she said drops out, I can definitely see the sun or rusting coming in because they're, they're movies that are going to hit a lot of categories. Just are they going to be like that number four, number five, or are they going to be six or seven in a lot of those below the line categories and even screenplay. Um, and then other movies I feel like could upset, but I'm not going to predict them yet are Empire of Light, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, and the aforementioned After Sun, which is another A24 movie, which I feel like could be the one that ends up messing up everything ever all at once is run just because a24 hears all the love for this movie so they're going to try to pull a florida project with it where they try to take it all the way but it's just so small that it doesn't end up getting there but i want to be ahead of the curve and i have it a little higher on my list than it probably should be uh this far out it's a great list it's a great list i mean you know i'm i'm definitely my list doesn't look like this that's that's okay you know this is why we do this this is why yeah it's the beauty of this we talk about these films that no one's seen, that no one knows anything about. Uh, and we just, you know, what do we think they might be? Um, and so I love that you've got Avatar at number one. You know, Avatar is still, it's not in my top 10. Uh, it was for a long time, it's not anymore. But, you know, I love seeing something that bold at number one. Um, at this point, if you have something safe at number one, what are you doing, man? Like, this is the time to hope dict. This is the time to predict with your heart, not with your brain. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're settling for something like Flower Moon or Babylon right now, not only are you probably gonna end up being wrong because that type of movie doesn't win, but also, you know, have some fun with it. And so I love that you have Avatar right here. Um, I'm gonna be riding the Avatar train. Uh, yeah, I love Avatar. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that movie is as good as you think uh, it's going to be. Um, and yeah, I, I really like the top 10. I think you've got a lot of really strong box office players right here, which um, is, is a really interesting thing in this lineup because you've got Babylon, um, which is definitely going to make a shit ton of money. It's gonna be like the Wolf of Wall Street, um, as well as you have Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is, you know, it's breaking 100 million, which is wild that it's doing that. Uh, so that's, that's a big movie. You've got Avatar, which is going to be massive. As well, you have Elvis, which we're going to see what the legs are on this movie. But, you know, that's that's a contender for a really big film. And you've got Top Gun, which is a very big film. So, you know, that's it's a really interesting, very populous lineup. And I dig it. I dig it a lot. Top Gun is a movie that originally, like, the first time I saw Maverick, I was like, there's no way this is going to get a different picture. I love it, but this is just not going to get in. But every week, these box office holds. There's people who I know who never go to the movies, who went to see Top Gun and who are going to see it for a second time. And they're bringing it back into like IMAX screens either this week or next week. And there's people who are gonna go back and rush to see it again. This is a movie that is not going anywhere for a long time. And that's the whole reason why we have 10 Best Picture nominees now is for movies like Top Gun, like Avatar, 
like Elvis, like everything, everywhere, all at once is to get in there just because we need more movies that people see that also are good movies because we want to like reward movies that are both good and populist. Mm -hmm. Now, I really hope as well, I mean, we're talking about uh, your top 10 and you've got women talking at number five. Now, I hope that next week I might have a little bit of um, insider knowledge of whether the film is good. Um, so hopefully I can bring a little something to the table next week because um, I know someone who's seeing it today. Nice, so, nice. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I know a little something. Um, obviously nothing spoilery, nothing like that, but I just want to know, is the film good? And who are the standout performances in the movie? Yes, that's what I'm most interested in because for, especially for supporting categories this year, there's a lot of ensemble movies like that where you don't really know who to pick. You're just, you're just plucking a name and hoping they hit. Because like, I remember at the beginning of the season for like The Whale, people were saying Hung Chow, and now it's uh, drifting over uh, to Sadie Sink, and same thing for Women Talking, and there's a lot of movies like that this year, because even the Knives Out sequel could probably get someone in there if Netflix really pushes it, because Netflix's slate, just like Warner Brothers, is not that deep. So they can really just focus their money on one movie and they can make a lot of things happen. Absolutely. And on the topic of women talking, I just want to, I, I keep saying this, um, Frances McDormand is not happening for this movie. She's yes. not happening for this movie. I can say that without having seen it. I know enough about the movie to tell you that Frances McDormand, um, she produced the movie. She had one of the biggest roles in the movie. Um, basically the closest that thing that the movie has to a lead. And just before production, she went, actually, I don't think I'm the best suited person for this role. She cast her friend. She brought in her friend, Judith Ivy, which is why I have Judith Ivy in my, my top five. So Judith Ivy now plays the role that Francis was supposed to play. And Francis took very close to a background role. She plays, um, you know, the, the title of the movie is Women Talking. Um, and it's a story about a bunch of women talking and Frances McDormand's character is not one of the women who are talking. So if you have it in your lead predictions for, for Frances McDormand in Women Talking, take her out. She is not that character. If you have her, your supporting for, uh, role there, it could happen. I haven't heard about it, but she has a smaller role than basically anyone else in the movie. So I would recommend taking Frances McDormand out of your predictions. Uh, but we're gonna talk more about Women Talking another time. Because that's uh, we're coming to the end of this episode of the show. So I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode of Fantasy Film Ball. Uh, Dill and I really appreciate the time that you spent listening to us raving about stuff we love, uh, and on my side, raving about stuff that I don't love. <clears throat> uh, Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Um, so yeah, check back in next Sunday for a more laid-back episode because we're going to be diving a little bit into. Some, uh, some films that we've seen this year that we love. We're gonna be talking about halfway through the year, what are our favorite films of the year, things that could get nominated, things that will not get nominated and some other stuff, as well as a little bit of a breakdown of the international feature category. Uh, we're gonna give you a little bit of a, a sneak peek into what that might look like through the rest of the year. But until then, I'm Matt. And I'm Dill, and this is Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at @filmball. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the show and come back next week.